Welcome to Faith, Reason, and Geekdom. I'm Roger. And I'm Dusty. My brothers and sisters in Christ, join us every Thursday as we work out these three perspectives in our everyday lives. Welcome again to Faith, Reason, and Geekdom. Today we are doing the movie review, a deep dive into the 2022 The Black Phone, directed by Scott Derrickson, starring Ethan Hawke. A brother and sister must survive a sadistic serial killer going around his sleepy Denver town, kidnapping children in the 1970s with a surprising ghostly twist. So what's the other movie we're talking about, Dusty? Elvis. One of your favorite movies, correct? Uh, definitely one of my favorite movies of the year. I took my dad, who saw the trailer on TV one day, and says, I want to go see that. And, and I really, I could have cared less. I, I could have left it. But I ended up taking him and really quite enjoyed it. That's awesome. But first, we're going to start with The Black Phone. Personally, I thought it was really good. Really good movie. If you're not like a big horror fan and you don't like the gore and stuff like that, jump scares, or you get scared easily, I think this one is might be for you. I think this you're safe with this one. It's not go over the top gory. Like this is a top-notch story. It was intriguing. It went places that I didn't even expect. I thought it was very well written. Yeah, I thought I it agree. ties up. It ties up a lot of things nicely. I was the whole time I was engaged. I even like the score. I thought the incredible performance by Ethan Hawke as the grabber, which he's going to have an iconic, iconic uh, mask, just like Jason yeah, and Freddy. Right. We're going to see those in Halloween. But you know what? My thing is the heart of the movie is about siblings, about the bond, the unbreakable bond of siblings and souls in the afterlife in particularly purgatory so that's my first initial thoughts i'll be home in the morning we're going i'm staying over at susie's tonight the snow the fire the papers call him the grabber i wish one called that you don't actually believe that story do you because he can't hear you and he doesn't really take kids that safe Isn't that just peachy keys? Please help you see that. <laughs> Would you hand me my hat? Yes, sir. I am a part-time magician. Are those black balloons in that? Would you like to see a magic trick? I have an announcement to make. One of our students, Benny Blake, was abducted. What if I could help the police find Benny? Those 
Okay. Please, please let the dreams be real. See the wall in front of you? I tore a long cable loose from down there. There's a combination lock on the inside of the storm door. What's the combination? I carved it in the wall. Tree, the door, the gate. I'd never seen it before except in my dream. You don't have much time. You're gonna use a weapon. You raise the phone, step back, and swing. Look what you made me do. Please hurry. You remember what I told you? That someday I should stand up for myself. Someday is today, Finn. What are your first initial thoughts, Dusty, about well, this? I I called you up and I said, I think you had mentioned it to me. I'm not really a, a guy who will go out and, and see just like any random horror movie. Yeah. But, <laughs> but, but I think you caught my attention and certainly another one of my friends. As a matter of fact, he's a former student of, me, of mine from RCIA class. Um, he texted me and he said, hey... I just watched uh, The Black Phone, and it's really creepy, but actually, yeah. it's also quite spiritual. And so he got my attention. I think I mentioned it to you. We talked about yeah. it, and then we decided, let's watch this thing. We weren't in the same room when we watched it, but um, I was, you know, very pleasantly sur surprised by this horror villain canon that, that Ethan yeah. Hawke has, has created here. Um with this character the grabber yeah <laughs> that's a weird name too like it's so you know what it fits though it's so simple but yet like it sounds so cheesy like oh we're, what does he do uh he uh he, he grabs he uh grabs kids oh i got it the grabber <laughs> like it's like well, okay he's like but actually it, it actually fits like i'm actually um, I'm warming up to it. At first, well, I didn't he, like he, it. The, the reason why they call him that, right, is because he's been running around grabbing teenage <laughs> yeah. boys yeah. Um, with this sort of unsettling method, um, which we don't want to give away too much. But uh, he sometimes, you know, opts to wear just the top of his mask, letting There's you memes. see kind of the bottom of his real expression. Yeah. The bottom piece sometimes freezes out and gives you like a different grin or a violatingly threatening, you know, yeah. uh, look. It's 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 really kind of cool what they do with it. It's not a very high budget film, though, is it? No, no, no. Actually, uh, interesting. This was shot for in 33 days with a 17 million dollar budget. Wow. That's a pretty tight schedule. That is That's a, a very tight, tight schedule. schedule. <laughs> and, and especially since it is kind of a period piece, this takes place yes. like in, the, in, in the 80s, yes. I believe. The late um, 80s, early 70s. But you know what? Interesting. This is this story. It's actually a short story. It was based off of Stephen King's son, who looks what? identical. Yeah. Wow. I yeah. didn't know that. Yeah. That's this, interesting. The short story. The short story is called The Black Phone. Okay. Uh, but it's Stephen King's son. And the interesting thing about this is that uh, the director, he read this, like, I think over a decade ago, he had read this and was like, you know what? There, it's an anthology series, a bunch of short stories, just like okay. Stephen King. 
And he was like, you know what? Out of all the short stories that he had, he was like, this, the black phone, this could be cinematic. I can see a story. And he and his writing partner was working on this. Scott Derrickson, who, by the way, his movie retired me when it first came out. I'm out of retirement now. I watch horror movies. But for a long time, I watched um, The Exorcism of Emily Rose, actually based on a true story. I remember that movie. Yeah, that was really creepy and well done. It was based off of a true story. And I saw it in the theaters. Oh, and wow. I was I was young again. This was was, was decades ago, okay. and I could not sleep. Like oh. I stayed up all night, <laughs> and from that day on, I swore off horror movies. Well, well, let me ask you this: When you saw The Exorcism of, of Emily Rose, had getting you, chills right now. <laughs> had, had had you as a kid already watched the original Exorcist by that point? Yes. Oh, so you did you lose any sleep after watching that movie? Yes, but the strange thing is I think uh, Exorcist is a far better movie. It's a classic. Uh, one of the best horror, and not even horror, one of the best uh, pictures of the decade in that era. Uh, a staple in the horror community. Really, truly, truly excellent movie. Okay. But And I lost sleep for that, but for some reason, I was really young. Um, wow. Uh, man, when did I see that? Uh, I don't know, elementary, middle school. Okay. So the director for Black Phone is the same guy who did that movie. Exorcism of Emily ago. Rose. Yes. Interesting. And he so did. A, he was did, a young guy uh, at the time. It sounds like. Sin, yeah. He did Sinister too. The horror movie with Ethan Hawke. He did Sinister. Oh, so yeah. maybe that's where he collaborated. He first started collaborating with Ethan Hawke. Because I, I wondered why Ethan decided to take this role because you know (laughs) so much of acting is using your face and showing off your skill your talent and the grabber employs this mask as as a really sort of its own theater in the movie yeah uh, with with different variations and the different characters and then even sometimes i felt like the mask he was wearing was was he was like embarrassed. He was using it to hide yeah. uh, from himself out of shame. You know, what are your thoughts on that? Because in the movie, again, the, these two siblings, brother and sister are in abusive home relationship. They're they're seeing the single dad. He abuses alcohol. Um, he's he employs tough discipline and his grabbers going around and many kids have already been gone. So in this grabber, he's like a part time magician. And when he actually takes away uh, the kid, he takes him away. He w- employs throughout the movie. You see him change. Did you get any symbolic meaning from why did he choose to ex- uh, expose his eyes on certain scenes? Why did he choose the top only? Did you get any symbolism or was it anything you're like, hmm, maybe he's using this form of the mask because dot, dot, dot. What were your thoughts on that? Wow. Dude, you've, you've really thought about this even a little more deeply than I have. I mean, I I know that, for example, I was focusing more on, on things like the grabber can actually hear the black phone. Yeah. Which you don't really stop to think about. No. But he says that he stopped ignoring, he just basically started ignoring the calls, right? Yes. Which, which, which is interesting with the other major theory that we have about this movie that you and I are going to talk about and why it is on our podcast. But he could hear the calls, starts basically ignoring them, probably out of guilt and that same shame that we're talking about. Um, 
But yeah, wow, that's an interesting question you just posed. What What do you make of that? Well, I'd like to hear your thoughts. Yeah. Well, before let, let's kind of a little backstory on the grabber since we're gonna we're gonna dig into him first. Um, okay. Ethan Hawke has said many times in interviews, various. He's like, I don't play villains. He stated that he's like, I don't like to play villains. And in interviews, he was saying the reason why Ethan Hawke does not like to play villains villains is because he doesn't like to get into that headspace. Uh-huh. You got to be the character, you know, you got to get into their head. He doesn't like to do that. So Scott Derrickson did not write this with Ethan Hawke in mind. Scott okay. Derrickson was like, okay, you know what? Uh, he's going to have a mask. So he's going to be covered. So I'm pretty sure like, Hey, Hollywood actors, um, cover your face. <laughs> You're not going to yeah. get a lot of the, so, uh, he was wondering like, who can I get that can have a performance as a, a thespian, an actor who can ooze out of the mask, who, who gots the shifty eyes mm. where you can see their eyes, who has the good voice. And Scott yeah. Derrickson said that Ethan Hawke has one of the most distinct voice because he could go gravelly and low and then he can go high and then he can sound innocent and then he could sound with the gravitas. And he sent the script to Ethan Hawke. And again, he was like, look, they worked with each other. So they had a rapport, but he was like, I really don't do horror movies. I'm probably not going to I'm probably going to say no, but sure, sent it. Well, okay. <laughs> interesting story. Uh, when the director sent the script to Ethan Hawke, he read it that night. So the next morning, the next morning, Scott Derrickson, the director of the Black Phone, received a voicemail. And in the voicemail, it was Ethan Hawke as the grabber. He was already in character. So imagine a creepy. Yeah. So he loved this. Yeah. Imagine you just, he already did the voice and everything. It reminded me of like Brando when the Godfather, Mm -hmm. when he went to Brando and he just started acting like the Don. It kind of reminded me of that. So he accepted it because he liked the script so bad. I mean, so good or so much. But also, the grabber is loosely based off of John Wayne Gacy, the Ah, infamous uh, child killer, the clown. Yeah, that kind of reminded me of him, uh, even on its own. That's that's interesting that they kind of did that on purpose. Uh, I hadn't thought about it. I was just so captivated by the idea that Ethan Hawke, which you're paying a nice price for, you know. <laughs> yeah. Here I am thinking again as a producer, you're paying for that name. You you're you're paying because people like Great to watch actor, him, and he yeah. and he yeah, and he brings value to your film. But we spend so much of the film not really seeing him. Yeah. Um, just seeing glimpses, like you said, the eyes, uh, there's choices that are made. And again, I'm fascinated by the fact that he wears this mask, in my opinion, not for the for the shock value or no. to scare Finney, who's the main character. Yes. Uh, the 13-year-old boy who, you know, is, is basically struggling and fighting him and not doing all the things that all the other victims have done and driving him crazy doing that. Um, but he's using it for himself. As a matter of fact, at some point, I, I hope I'm not giving too much away by saying that, you know, he gets unmasked and he panics that he's yeah. been unmasked. Like he, he this, says this my is face. part of him. He yeah, screams, this is yeah, part of his face. face. And you know, what, what I also want to say is, and I have to be very careful here, but there is also another set of, of siblings in this movie. And, and you were talking yes. about how this movie is about siblings. And I all of a sudden it hit me like, wait a minute, there's the obvious, uh, you know, lead character uh, in their struggles in the movie. When you mentioned the idea that this movie was about siblings, 
I thought, okay, there's the obvious two siblings, the brother and sister, that are the 13-year-old or maybe 11-year-old kid in the movie. But then there's the other set of siblings that show up, and we cannot get into that because that's a spoiler. So let's just leave it at that. And let's talk about the fact that the Black Phone is a conduit to another world, right? There's something supernatural about the Black Phone. That's not spoiling too much. And when I called you, I said, Roger, I think the reason why we're going to talk about this movie on our podcast is because I think these souls that are shown in the movie are, are in purgatory. Yeah. And you... I mean, what was your initial reaction to that? Did you you hadn't seen it yet first? No, right? I hadn't seen it yet. So you but, you were intrigued by that? Yes, I was very by that proposition because we didn't know that officially. We still don't know that officially. That's our theory. So, yes. and then that led us to a conversation which we touched about in the last um, podcast about this book that I read, which is one of the scariest oh, books, yeah. uh, and it's called um, Hungry Souls. Yes. Uh, and Hungry Souls is a book about uh, well-documented cases uh, in which the souls of purgatory cross over into our world. And they're doing things like, you know, communicating with the living, um, they're, they're uh, concerned, maybe they're asking for prayers, yes. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So when I saw this film, that's what, what I was present to right away, uh, is that Hungry Souls book, which, by the way, in and of itself would be an, an awesome movie. After a week of hearing ghostly noises, for example, this man oh, yeah. is visited in his home by the spirit of his mother, who's been dead, by the way, for like three decades. That's and a she long time. Re- she reproaches him for his uh, dissolute life and begs him to have masses said in her name. Mm. And she lays a hand on his sleeve, which leaves this indelible burn mark wow. and then disappears. Okay. So <laughs> <laughs> that's like one of the stories that's there. It's this repeated uh, visitation stuff. Some people thought they were demons coming to seek him for prayer, for consolation, for refuge. And we are seeing these types of poor spirits coming through in this movie, in my yeah. opinion, this black phone. Yeah. And, um, and, and again, I don't know how far deep we want to go into it, but um, it's very well written. These characters are very well sketched out. And uh, for being what you just said, that this is a movie that's a, a short story. I'm surprised by that because it's so well thought out. And I also thought that they did something very interesting in this movie. They used a lot of foreshadowing and they, and they would kind of lead you to the water. And then later on it would come back in a big way. And it was always very tight. Like it wasn't loose ends. Everything was very tight. And, And I really enjoyed that. I thought that that was one of the best, uh, horror movies I've seen. In a while, and even and even calling it a horror movie to me is is a little misleading to me. I I, I don't really consider it just horror. I thought it was kind of a edge thriller. of the sea thriller. Yeah. yeah, like a really good ghost story. Yeah, um, I felt the movie was uh, a really intriguing ghost story. I felt that it was a, a good drama. 
I felt that it was a good whodunit even, yeah. you know? So it was all of these different elements rolled into one as a low budget uh, Blumhouse film, yes. <laughs> which um, which really doesn't have any names in it other than, yeah. than uh, you know, Ethan Hawke. The performances were great from the children and not just the children, because there's many children. There's a lot of kids in this movie. And I thought the they were all phenomenal. Like every child in the movie, I thought did an excellent job showing him getting bullied. The constant yeah. story is about him not defending himself, being pushed over and he's getting bullied. And even his sister tries to stand up to him. And there's mm -hmm. that sibling bond. And then when he gets snatched away, they're trying to connect. And the, the spiritual part that drew me in was you find out stuff in, in the film, but okay. it, it touches on there's something going on with this family. There's yes. hints of there, there, there's something going on because even you talked about the grabber here in the phone and in there's a, there's a part where it's alluded to that Finney is, he may have, the force might be strong with him, I guess. Yes. A lot of midichlorians, right? He might yes. have, like his sister, you know, a lot of midichlorians in there because That's he's true. able to communicate with, like we said in the trailer, it shows there's, there's a spiritual side, there's a supernatural side. And Finney is able to communicate the most throughout in with the picture that that's what it's alluding to is like hey he's different just like the sister and that scene when the sister is praying she gets out the virgin mary she yes. gets out a rosary what did you think about that like what well, were you I, thinking immediately it i it just added fuel to my purgatory yeah. fire you know <laughs> yeah. I, I i was watching the film as a catholic uh, thinking about their catholic the purgatory. <laughs> yeah and and then to see her do that and then for the director who uh I know you and I talked about the director sort of has some some uh, some roots or some interest yes. in the Catholic Church. Yes. Uh, he, he's Protestant, I believe. But I, I remember reading one article where he said he kind of um, fiddled with the Catholic faith. Or he said he, he flirts with Catholicism. Flirts with their... He's an he Episcopalian. To which I said, how do you flirt with Catholicism? Yeah. <laughs> but um, but anyway, I, I, really, I really quite enjoyed the film i recommend it um i also by the way don't have a problem with um you know kids that are let's say 13 watching it even though it got an r rated yeah uh, r rating um I, I i don't have a problem with it the there is the only thing that i did have a problem with as at the beginning of the film when we meet the sister for the first time yes. and the police are interviewing her because she's got this this talent right yes. she's got these visions and they want to they're trying to figure out how to solve this crime and they're she's sort of been making some calls with that talent talent yeah. and showing that she has this uh, this ability so they come to the school and interview her and my my scene that i had a problem with was that it's so over the top and she uses language in oh, that yeah, scene that yeah, was completely that. kind of unnecessary. Yeah, I don't know if that was to grab the kids in the audience and and have her root for her as a rebel against you know um, police or or authority. But I felt like ah, I could have lived without that. There was no real need for it, especially yeah. since later on they're they're kind of co corroborating uh, and collaborating uh, different. Uh, crimes and, and stories within the film, um, meaning the sister and the police. So I, I didn't like that. But other than that, I felt like 
it was okay that even teenagers, young teenagers at home could probably enjoy this. I think the R rating came from, yeah, there wasn't a lot of gore, but I think it came from the disturbingness of the this child killer that does, it, they don't say it outright, but it definitely alludes to uh, more disturbing stuff happening because there's a line that the grabber says, and he says, he says to Finney when he's already captured him in his, this horrible dark basement. It's just, and it's literally an empty basement with a mattress and the black phone, the old yeah. style, the rotary. Yes. And in this rotary Great set phone, design. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Simple. And uh, he goes, I'm not going to do anything you wouldn't like like he pauses and the way yeah. he says it and then finney's the great shot of of the just the juxtaposition in, yeah there it? you go yeah. juxtaposition. Okay. you know me i can't say words <laughs> of his horror on the face and then that one scene where again uh, i don't think we i don't think we finished on the mask like you're asking me symbolically i think it shows him his side like the nice side uh yes. he comes down and he has kind of like the uh, almost like a neutral face and then there's some faces that are more like sinister like yeah the, way the mouse is there's definitely unexpected combinations it's there, like he's there. he's exposing himself he he's exposing himself what he wants the child finney to see like in that one where he exposes his whole eyes and i think that's probably like the best look you almost the best look you get at ethan hawk uh and he has those eyes and he's looking at him with sadness and he's like, why did you why did you come down here? And and uh, the the grabber says the line says, I just wanted to look at you. And there's tears in his eyes. Great performance again by right. Ethan Hawke. Right. There's tears. If you, I don't know if you caught that, but he's I did. There's I tears did. in his yeah. eyes. Well, these starkly juxtaposed images, these faces, these masks. Uh, are just like I said, they're sort of theater within the movie. And, and we that all wear adds masks, another right? level. I think it alludes to we all yeah. wear masks, right? The Carl Jung and all the other philosophers would say that we wear different masks. So yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, and it, and, and it, from an artistic standpoint, I liked it. Beautiful. It, it adds that design, that theater design within the movie, and, theater, and you're yes. on the roller coaster ride. You know, you're you're taking that ride down this this rabbit hole, this really sick rabbit yeah. hole that this guy has and they're very good about misleading you like you think for example when he comes downstairs you said i'm not going to do anything that you don't like yeah um uh it it, it 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 brings up different thoughts in your mind what might he be talking about and yeah. then it turns out to be something else so it keeps you on the edge uh keeps you on your toes even i have to i have to get this out because we talked about this i'll try to make it as fast but also the purgatory aspect. See, this is, oh man, we need a whole episode to go into this because I was going to say like the the ghosts that appear in, in the black phone, some people might be like, wait, why are they in, again, we're assuming purgatory. Why? And I had this whole deep concept of at the end, and again, there's so much dialogue that alludes to like, um, I'm we're not done yet something we need okay. to help you so they need to do something to let's say pass over okay. and some people are like well why are you know these are children how they're innocent but again we talked about how purgatory uh unless you go to heaven you got to be a saint right 
And yes. even though, yes, you're young and there's, there's this one scene, it comes late in the movie towards the end. And I think that's the perfect scene. Cause in this one scene, it kind of show, I think the director was trying to show, Hey, not that this kid's evil, but this is kind of a bad kid. Remember that rough kid towards yeah. the end. There's the, that, and they, they make a point to show this kid doing brutal things. And oh, then there's this yes. one line, there's a one line where he says, thank you for helping me. And he goes for what? And he's like, thank you for helping me. He's like, it's not about you. And then something happens that like, wait a minute, something happened to this kid. Maybe again, this isn't second chances, but like, it makes it allude to like, oh, that kid, he did it for the wrong reasons. He's not going to pass over because there's a certain scene and they make mm. a whole big, I don't know, but uh, Corinthians, first Corinthians chapter three, right? It says this in in the scriptures now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold silver precious stones wood hay stumble each man's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed with fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done if the work which by any man has been built on foundation survives he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burnt up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. What does that sound like? That sounds That's in like the predatory. New Testament. Exactly. Like, yeah. Because I mean, one of them's not hell. Because if you think right. the two stories, it's a story about two men. And if you're like, well, the other one didn't survive, he's in hell. But then again, that line, it goes, yeah. though he will himself be saved, but only through fire. Right. Right. Yeah. That's the and, then, and we uh, we can't go deep into this, but I'll just say Maccabees. Read the book of Maccabees in the Old Testament, and you will also see stuff on purgatory. You also see in Matthew 5, 19, whoever then relaxes, breaks one of these least of these commandments and teaches men, so shall he be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But he who does them and teaches them shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So you do see venial sin, deadly sin. The scripture right. always talks about that. So I just kind of wanted to leave us on that because we had to get into the purgatory talk. I, I just had to, to because that, it's deep in this movie, I think. There's such big allusions to purgatory. Yeah, and, there are. And there's other questions like, well, why them? Why is this person in there? Why is that? And that's a whole nother conversation that we could open up. But let's let's we, close you on feel, that. You, the, other, the, the other purgatory sort of overlap just before we go from, from the Black Phone is there, that you are... You know, you, you have to be aware as a Catholic the importance of praying for the dead and 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 their repentance um, yes. here on earth. Yes. And these these souls that are in this movie certainly do have some repentance. Some some of them. <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway, just a great film. Great we film. give it. What do you uh, give it? Do you I, you want to do scores or like? Well, what do you? Score? I was going to give it a thumbs up, but I think um, if it was an out of a ten, yeah, I would out probably of a 10. give it a good eight. I'd give it an eight out of ten. Yeah, I'm actually saying I'm not just copying. I'm actually uh, because another movie we're going to talk about is going to be a different score. But yeah, uh, I think an eight. I've well, seen this movie twice. Uh, mm -hmm. I would give this an eight. I would again, if you're not big in, oh, I don't like big scary horror movies. I think this is. I think you can handle this one. This one's not like that gory. So go see yeah. it. The Black Phone. I think it's out streaming now. Yeah, and it's definitely on Peacock. Out yeah. Mm -hmm. So 
All right, so uh, Dusty, you want to introduce us to our next, our second film? I'm excited Fate, about Reason this. So, it's interesting that you watched Black Phone twice because I, I rarely have time or want to watch uh, movies these days as an adult two or three times. Yeah. And yet, that's exactly what happened <laughs> yeah. with me and this movie. And this movie is Baz Luhrmann's Elvis. Yeah. The, the big budget, uh, just amazing visual uh, compilation, this musical drama that is a biographical musical drama yeah. about our favorite uh, guy from, you know, the 1960s and 70s and even the 50s, yeah. Elvis Presley. There are some who make me out to be the villain of this here story. There's no lot of good things Are you born with destiny? Or does it just come knocking at your door? He's a young singer from Memphis, Tennessee. Give him a warm hayride welcome. Mr. Elvis Presley. Get a haircut, buttercup. In that moment, I watched that skinny boy transform into a superhero. He was my destiny. I wish to promote you, Mr. Preston. lonely children reaching for eternity. The greatest show on earth. Elvis has left the building. 
Um, I really quite enjoyed this movie. And you want the, the reason why I brought it to you as an idea for us to talk about is because we learned pretty early in the film uh, something that really stuck with me that 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 really kind of you know when you think of Elvis, let's put this one. When you think of Elvis, you think, depending on your generation, the guy was kind of weird. Like, he was kind <laughs> yeah. of spazzy. Yeah. Uh, he was very talented. He was very unique in the way he dressed. He was yeah. definitely one of these characters, bigger than life characters definitely. Right, in his life. And one of the things that we always think of immediately when we think Elvis, we think of those gyrations, the shaking <laughs> yeah. that he would do on the stage. Not not just the the, the, the pelvic gyrations, but he would stand there All and over. his hands would be shaking and his legs would be shaking. And man, he was into his music, which which is another topic because really we learn in the movie that most of his music wasn't really his music. Yeah. He stole it from other cultures and, and other people around him as he was growing up. But the thing that I loved right away was we see this preteen Elvis basically slain by the holy spirit yeah and that's where he gets these weird sort of spiritual <laughs> gyrations yeah. and shaking when he performs and i thought you know I, I actually believe this there was something very special about that talent that he had not not only his singing and his presence but the way that he moved especially when he was younger um uh, in his career was taking off that's what got people's attention and that was also you know the big controversy but when you watch it you realize that this kid uh was impassioned on fire yeah with the holy spirit for this for this music and that certainly took it out of the context of sexuality and how you know how how just like awful he was for showing that people were for yeah. showing this on television yeah. or, or even on stage as they travel from town to town. But so we got the Holy spirit side, right? we got the, the yes. spiritual aspects of this movie that we can talk about. And then you have the other side of it in this movie. Not only do we have the Holy spirit, but this movie is also actually about one of the greatest devils and the devil's deal that was made. Oh yeah. You know, and I'm talking about his, his, uh, his manager. deal with his manager this this manager deal that he made with colonel tom parker which is yes. played brilliantly yeah um by tom hanks yeah, excellent yeah uh, you don't get to see tom hanks as a villain right and this is sort of a likable villain um he's telling you the story from the beginning from his point of view yes and um and, and this is his story about how he discovered elvis and how he made him famous and 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 you're you're sort of brought into that world by Tom Hanks, and I really enjoyed Tom Hanks. Of course, uh, Austin um, uh, Butler, yeah, Butler, who plays Elvis. Wow, my goodness, just blows you away with his yeah. performance. But going back to the topic, this was the ultimate extreme bad devil's bargain deal that Elvis made, and it's interesting how it happens in the story. You know. Uh, uh, Tom Hanks's character, uh, Colonel, um, finds out finds out about Elvis, and then goes out of his way to go to a carnival to 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 approach him. Yes, there in the same way the devil would. He comes yeah. to him <laughs> with with an offer he can't refuse. But it's a really an extremely bad deal with a terrible, horrific price to pay. 
Yes. And, uh, and he accepted it. It was almost like he had no other way uh, out of, out of his, out of his situation to become as big as Colonel Tom Parker could and did make him in the real world. Um, and so I love that aspect that we're seeing the devil yeah. and the Holy Spirit <laughs> in the movie, again, from yeah. a Catholic standpoint. But I think once you watch it, you're going to see that as well. It's pretty obvious. It doesn't hit you over the head with it. But um, if, you, uh, if you look at it uh, from, from a spiritual perspective, there's a lot there. And of course, we know that Elvis lived this extraordinary life. Uh, Larger than life. Yeah. yeah, larger than life. Misunderstood, I think, even by some of the people around him. Um, but he comes across, you can't stop looking at Austin Butler. And, no. And I saw a, an interview later with Austin. I think it was on Jimmy Kimmel. And uh, I, I was kind of blown away that Austin's eyes appear to be a little more green or a little more brown mm. than they are mm -hmm. in the movie. Because in the movie, boy, uh, as, yes. as Jimmy Kimmel even uh uh, said during the interview with him boy you look at the camera you melt it you melt the lens man you you definitely captured elvis you know and sung by austin butler again the music mm -hmm. wow yeah, he did a lot of work he says he did a lot of work with vocal coaches and yeah. movement coaches uh he he captured it and he had a lot of pressure too because this was a film that was made with the seal of approval from the presley estate he did get to meet um, uh, people at Graceland. And, yeah. the, and the biggest one that he got to meet was Priscilla Presley, yeah. who apparently told Austin right after he had gotten cast, look, um, you have my support, like, uh, but you also have a great responsibility. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? And some and, of the songs he sung are the greatest one. Like, I mean, almost not even all the hits were they couldn't fit all the hits in no, the movie but no, they got no. they got a lot of them they well, got they well, definitely got that and speaking of that we get to see where the songs came from yes these were some of the favorite songs yeah, baby that king and all the other ones as a kid yeah that as a kid he enjoyed hanging out in, in Memphis, in, yeah. in the, in the African-American parts the of poor town, community. Yeah. And the poor communities listening to singers Revivals, at, yeah. at clubs. And, uh, you know, it, it's, um, it's brilliantly produced visually. Yes. I think that was one of the reasons I liked it. Um, you know, you so know what? Of, yeah. Real quick. I, at first I did not like, like I'm talking right in the beginning. I was kind of like, knocked i was like uh i had a aversion to it at first but that quickly went away because i didn't realize i was like oh yeah this guy uh, the director he did the great gatsby and i was like oh yeah it makes sense and the way he used modern music and so at first i thought it was too cartoony because i was like oh it's like too cgi too cartoony and then they even literally do a little cartoon scene in there and yes. the way the colors pop but then it went away. I was like, you know what? No, this is actually, I like it. I'm on board. But at first, yeah, I thought, I thought was this was. Turn, yeah, like it, that's the whole. I thought it was going to be that. like the Johnny Cash. Like, you know, like the biopics, right. Johnny Cash, Joaquin Phoenix. I thought it was going to be like a more serious, uh, darker tone of the, I'm talking about colors. The, but the cinematography was way different from what I expected from a biopic. This was oh, almost, yeah, sure. like a musical. Very oh. much like The Great Gatsby, the same director. And I loved it. I loved the voiceover of of the uh, uh colonel tom parker mm -hmm. how 
Tom Hanks is voicing over and then you get the colors that really pop the CGI again. I, then I fell in love. I was like, you know what? I'm in, I'm in the fast pace, the musical. And the, my favorite part I think was the, the famous, uh, um, Las Vegas at the international yes. where he sings his yeah. song with the, the song. international yeah. hotel, which we all know. Anybody <laughs> who knows Elvis knows that that was the Hilton. Las yes. Vegas Hilton and you look at yeah. it it looks like the Hilton it even looks like today's uh version of the Hilton that's still in Las Vegas but for some reason they call it the International Hotel because they probably didn't want to get sued or something yeah. it doesn't reflect too well how Elvis really it cost him a lot to to perform there even though they gave him free reign and so forth he was kind of in the devil's deal with yeah. this International Hotel to be there during that part of his life where, where he, you know, obviously uh, passed away during that part of his life. But yes, this director, Mark Anthony, they call him Baz Luhrmann. Yes. He's an Australian filmmaker and an actor. And he has done movies like Australia, uh, I think Australia Moulin Rouge. Yeah. When this thing, oh, when this thing yeah, started, yeah. I thought immediately, there you go. Oh, Moulin <laughs> yeah. Rouge, you know, that's right. Um, he also did Romeo and Juliet. Uh, he did The Great Gatsby. Yes. Uh, the guy visually knows what he's doing. He's very comfortable in there. Yes. He put a lot of energy and effort into bringing this unknown, pretty much unknown actor, and giving them this huge responsibility. Uh, and I'm talking about Austin Butler. That's a big chance because Austin huge. Butler... I only came I because I was like, why does he kind of look familiar? I was like, I've seen this guy somewhere, and I used to love the Arrow TV shows, yes. the comic books, the, and he was on there for a few episodes. I think he played one of the boyfriends of the, of the sister, and then he also was Tex in the Charles Manson story, the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So he was directed by one of the greats, Quentin Tarantino. Yes, that's and right. And he was in there apart. You know, you have a movie with Leo and Brad Pitt and Austin Butler's in there. So, but but really, this is his first big role. And, oh, I was and not impressed. only is it his first big role, but you you roll out the red carpet yeah. with him as the marquee talent in the yes. movie. I remember when I first saw the preview, I was in a movie theater somewhere and I watched the preview for this movie and I'm thinking, whoa. Whoever this guy is, they just bet huge that their people are going to show up to watch this guy as Elvis. But well-deserved, man. Well-deserved. And you know what? I can't wait to see him in more stuff because I can't stop looking at him. They, well, when I was in school, um, <laughs> they, they, they talked about this concept um, that I, I don't remember which director it was that came and talked to us that day. But it was somebody from the old, like an old school director, an old man. And he said, you know, in old Hollywood, the way we would decide who would star in our films is we would find people that out, like out on the street in society, in the theater, wherever we'd find them. These were people that you would look at them and you wouldn't be able to stop looking at them. There was something special about them that just attracted your eye. Mm -hmm. There's a few actors like that today and, and even actors and actresses that I've seen in, in, out in the real world that fit that mark. But, but Austin uh, is, Butler is definitely one of those guys. You look at him, you look at the way he moves, the way he talks during interviews, even when he's not acting, and there's just something interesting about him. He's got this sort of Brad Pitt type personality thing going. And even you look, you look at Brad Pitt, he, he moves in a certain way and smiles in a certain way and pauses when he talks. They're just interesting looking people, you know? And so he, you take this interesting looking guy 
And I can only imagine, you know, what the casting process was like. Baz Luhrmann finds him and then he starts immediately to work with him, to put him to, to, vo to vocal coaches, to dance coaches, to, to, you know, movement coaches, to get this guy ready to play one of the biggest names in all of the history of show business, Elvis Presley. Yeah. And, one and it wasn't too much. It wasn't too little, by no. the way. Did you notice? It was like no, right no, no. I think freaking it was on. Because, because you don't want to do like the, Urban, Over the, the Elvis impersonator. Right? <laughs> yeah. you, know? you don't want to come across cheesy. Yeah. And you're also telling his life story. Like you're, you're going along. And uh, I remember Austin Butler saying, you know, my, my job was to discover who Elvis was. And, and one of the ways in which I connected to him right away was we both lost our mom when we were like 23 years old. Mm. And, and so I knew kind of what he might be thinking, what he might be feeling, the young version of him. And then he talks about how the different vocalizations that Elvis had during his life, how, yeah. uh, you know, one point it's in his throat, one point it's appeared nasally. Yeah. yeah. Just beautiful, beautiful movie. I really enjoyed Elvis. It didn't take me out of the film too much. There was a lot of digital sets. Yes. Uh, but they, 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 they finesse it so well. And uh, Bass Lerman does such a good job of, of putting the sets and the actors together visually where you're buying it. You're back in the seventies, you know, and you're at the international hotel or you're at the airport when Elvis gets off the plane and he's sitting there talking, saying goodbye to his wife before he passes away. Very touching scene. So one of my favorite scenes though, the, the way, the way the movie closed was Elvis himself, the real Elvis yeah. singing unchained melody on stage. And he was just, so brilliant haunting so, you know haunting, haunting that, scene, that scene was haunting yes and they took whatever they shot this uh with and they 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 made it you know they resized it to 4k resolution and there he is the king of rock and roll bigger than life just six weeks before his death at a yeah. concert it was one of uh, his last yeah, and I, and I originally I thought that the concert had taken place at the International or at the Hilton um, Hotel, but it's actually from a concert in Rapid City, South Dakota. Like, what was he mm. doing in Rapid oh. City, South Dakota? Do, mm -hmm. Does anybody even have concerts in, in Rapid <laughs> no. City, South Dakota today? And there, and there he was, the last scene, and it features this uh, recreation or this just amazing, yeah. you know. Uh, uh, rendition of the the righteous brothers unchained melody which as soon as the movie was over and i got to the car i looked up the soundtrack and i played it in the car yeah. for like the next two days i couldn't stop yeah listening to elvis perform unchained melody yeah yeah me too i listened to it like over and over like it's long in the beginning because he's just there like talking and he's like he's fumbling around and all this stuff like it's on youtube and he's getting ready he's like oh just, just yeah and, this song. And, and i liked it because <laughs> rather than end the film showing this you know sort of sad fat rapid decline excessiveness i was dying. wondering if it was going to show the toilet like i was yeah, like dying are we in the bathroom the <laughs> like are we going <laughs> to see that right dying in the bathroom at graceland instead it focuses on why elvis was elvis you know this amazing talent that we were robbed of uh, it i remember where i was when elvis died i was a little kid and I remember exactly where I was and, and, and seeing it on the news and playing with some friends and stuff. But what I didn't realize at the time until I saw this movie was just how young Elvis was. Yeah, 42. Man. Yeah, really That's, young. Oh, wow. And I, and I think about, you know, 
as as creative as he was, yeah. What did we what did we get cheated uh another 20, of, 30 years? What did we get cheated out of by by the devil uh yeah. <laughs> in the in the film with this devil who, who lived longer till nineteen ninety seven? Yeah, who I was like, whoa. And, and and was the subject of many lawsuits <laughs> yeah. and sad and sad um you know gambling addictions yeah. and, and, and you so know what Colonel Tom. that's that's something interesting you bring up too because yes the holy spirit the player the pericle right that's why we have the advocate as it's called uh where the devil accuses us and he's like a lawyer accusing us putting his rotten dirty finger in our faces trying to shame us and then the pericleat the advocate comes to our defense. And I saw that in the young Elvis taking over, but the other spiritual side is you just mentioned it right now. And I was waiting to find the in. So, but you just put pointed in right now is a cautionary tale of what does the devil rob from us? And mm. there's a 17th century mathematician and philosopher blaze Pascal. And is one of these great quotes. He says, silence, all human unhappiness comes from not knowing how to stay quietly in a room. And I'm reminded of uh, virtues versus vices. And I'm reminded of Thomas Aquinas, who talks about what, in the Summa Theologiae, he talks about what will not make us happy and what will. And so literally he goes through objections, Thomas Aquinas. So he's like, money, well, does money make us happy? And Thomas Aquinas says no. And this is what he says. This is a Thomas Aquinas on will wealth make us happy. Now, it is evident that man's happiness cannot consist in natural wealth. For wealth of this kind is sought for the sake of something else, as in support of human nature. Consequently, it cannot be man's last in. Rather, it is obtained to man. Wherefore, in the order of nature, as such things below man, and made for man, according to Psalms 8, 8, thou hast subjected all things under his feet. So what he, what he means is this. We, we have ends, right? The ends. When I say ends, that's the goal, right? The top. And then there's the means. The means are the things that get us there, right? So wealth is just a means. It's not the end, right? So for example, that's if right. you're in, uh, uh, on an island, right? You're on an island, me and you, Dusty, we're on an island, yeah, right? We're in somewhere in the middle of the island and somebody, here, here's, here's, I'll help you guys out. And they throw off a plane, like $7 million and that's it. What good? I mean, money is a—it's just a means. Money doesn't help us, right? That doesn't. We're on a desert island. We don't need money. We just burn it, right? Same thing. Yeah. And then Aquinas goes into like, what about fame? Will fame and glory make us happy? No. Once again, he talks about how how the glory must come from within, right? You can't get something that is in somebody else. The person who's honoring you or giving you glory, that's in them. They're outside of yourself. That's another human being, right? You can't right. take, they can't give you what they have. You have to have it within yourself. Same thing. Uh, he talks about what about pleasures, sex? Will sex and all this stuff make us happy? No, again, because they are all just means. They're not mm -hmm. the end. So right. on this earth, nothing is going to satisfy us. And we see that in, in, all sorts of musicians and 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 movie stars and other things is, is you see Elvis, right? The devil robs him. He puts with vices, right? There's women, 
There's women everywhere. There's drugs everywhere. And I think there's a line in the movie when it says that, you know, he, he gets addicted to the, the love, the glory, the fame. And when, he, but when he's not on stage in the movie, it says he reverts to his room to turn to drugs to try to find that high. That's and right. that will rob us. If you keep chasing the, the glory, the wealth, the sex, it leaves you miserable because it will never ultimately satisfy it that's never right. satisfies a cautionary soul. tale. Yeah. A cautionary tale. That's what we see with this film. We're running out of time, Raj, yeah. but you know, I loved it. I, 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 I probably watch it again. I what do really, you give this I, one? Oh, this is definitely a nine, nine plus for me because uh, the, the, there was just so much work, hard work. Nobody took any shortcuts to make this film. And, um, you know, uh, part part extravaganza, part uh, American music <laughs> history, yeah. part uh, spirited homage, you know, yes. um, and, and then part showcase for Austin Butler, man, who's going to be yeah. a big star, I think. Let's see. Definitely. Yeah. You know what? I'm, I don't want to seem like, like, again, last time we both gave it an eight. You said nine plus. So let's say nine point five for you. I'm going to give this one a nine. Definitely. Right. I thought good. it was better than Black Are Kong. you glad that I got you to watch it? Yes. Yes. I'm okay, very good glad and awesome. i will see it again i only got a chance to see it once black phone i had a longer so i saw it twice but i will definitely see this movie again well it's sure. interesting that you say that because when i watched it the second time uh, there was a lot of stuff that i missed that was really good there was oh, microscopic go in there and, and so yeah you'll get it you'll get it you'll you'll get a lot out of it i think the second time as well all right anyway. well that was that was faith reason and geekdoms presents movie reviews hopefully we'll do more of these but again if you guys could please share and subscribe on apple spotify google iHeartRadio, wherever you can find any podcast platforms we should be on there so please uh share us around uh talk to us about your with your friends with your family members if you guys could do that please pray for us our podcast we will be praying for you anyone who's listening I am Roger. And I'm Dusty. Godspeed. God bless. Good night. Good night.